All right, well, let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page three for the reading of Scripture. I'm going to read the passage that's printed there and then invite you to uh, respond as indicated below. Today's reading comes from Psalm 1, the entire chapter. Would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, sovereign God, we come before you and we sit under these words. uh, And I recognize that as we have come and uh, sung these songs, as we've been led uh, in worship and in confession and thanksgiving, Uh, As we have considered uh, the words that have just been read, I recognize that we come here from all kinds of different places. Some of us come here and our lives are filled with good things, our bodies are well, our bank accounts are healthy, our marriages are strong. But Lord, I recognize that for some of us, uh, these things couldn't be further from the truth. Some of us come in here and we have been in a season uh, of great difficulty, uh, of sadness, uh, some of us of depression or anxiety. Uh, Some of us perhaps even come here today even in despair. And I recognize further, Lord, that some of us come in here full of faith and belief in you. Some of us have been fully convinced of the truth of the scriptures, of the reasonableness of Christianity, and others of us here come in here with all kinds of doubts, all kinds of objections, strong skepticism uh, towards the claims of Christianity. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we come here Uh, full of celebration or full of sadness, whether we come here full of faith or dealing with all kinds of doubt, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we all come in here ultimately the same. We all come in here with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, to be changed by you. And I pray that you would show us, open our eyes to see how you have been working in the person of Jesus Christ to address these needs. In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you. Again, my name is Darren. I serve uh, as one of the pastors here, and we are in kind of a tradition here at Ironworks where in the first two months of the year, we take a break from our sermon series to kind of cast vision and to talk about matters that are appropriate at the beginning of the year. And this is a passage that I actually often like to do at the beginning of the year. It orients me for the year that is to come. And the passage is talking about a very mysterious word, right? It's trying to explain for for what, for me at least, has been a very strange and mysterious word that I have often not fully understood, and that's this word, blessed. Okay, if you are not a Christian and you have been confused by what Christians mean when they use this word blessed, you're not alone, right? I mean, when I grew up in the 
uh, church that I grew up in, it didn't matter what was going on in your life. Like you could have just had your left leg amputated. And if someone came to you and said, Darren, how are you feeling? And you're laying there on the hospital bed in absolute agony, you were required by tradition to say, I'm blessed, brother. Right? That was like no matter what was going on, you would just say, I'm blessed. For others, it meant that you had a lot of children right? You know, and, and you're, you're pulling your hair out, you know, you've got like 10 of them running around and, you know, you're, you're <laughs> you know, you're having all kinds of problems. Someone comes in and say, how are you doing? I'm blessed, brother. That's what it meant. Now, I did finally learn. My uh, family is from Arlington, Texas. And in Arlington, Texas, if someone says to you, just, this is going to go a long ways for you. If someone looks at you and they say, you know, brother, bless your heart. Like, they're actually cursing you. <laughs> Okay, they're saying a word to you in, in northern speak that I would get in trouble for saying, right? <laughs> okay, they're actually cursing at you, so that's, you don't want to have your heart blessed in the south. It's not, not good, right? Once I learned that, my relationship started going a lot better, right? But what, what does it mean, what does it mean in the scriptures when it uses this language of blessing? Now, to help you get at this, to help unpack this, what I want you to do is I want you to get into your mind. You can write it down. You can put it in your smartphone. I want you to get in your mind one thing in your life that you would absolutely long to see happen this year. One change in your life, okay? I want you to think about it. What's one thing if God would do in you, right, that, that you would pick more than anything else this year, one change that would take place in your life? Maybe it's with another person, maybe it's at your work, maybe it's a, a, a bad habit you've had. What's one thing that you could have changed in your life and circumstances this year that you would pick over everything else, right? One change. Okay, do you have it? All right. That for you, that one thing, is what you mean in your mind when you hear the word blessed. Right? It, it, this idea of blessing captures a longing that overrides other longings uh, that exist. The, the Hebrew word is ashrei, and it has the idea that things are right, things are good. You can rest because things are in their right place. And what I want to do is I want to talk about this particular passage as it unpacks this concept, I think it's going to help show us some new angles to it. I want to unpack this passage under three headings, addressing this question of blessedness. Number one, what is it to God, right? So we have what it is to us. What is it to God? How do you pursue it? And what does it mean? What does it mean um, for God to act in this way? So let's get into it together. Number one, what is it? Well, the passage will answer this question beginning in verse 3, so that's where we're going to start. We'll come back to verses 1 and 2 in just a minute. But when it talks about a, a person who's blessed, the scripture says this, he is like a tree planted by streams of water. And the very first angle that the passage will take on this question is it says this, to be blessed is to have security. Right, so the, the imagery here of a tree planted next to streams of water is that when you have a well-watered tree, the tree becomes unmovable, right? So we don't usually talk about a tree wrapping around a car, 
right? We talk, we talk about the other way, that, you know, when someone's out there and they're drinking and driving, and they say, well, he was drinking and driving, and he wrapped his car around a tree. No one ever says, well, he was out there drinking and driving, and he wrapped a tree around his car, right? Why? Because the tree does not move. You can slam into it. You can plow into it. You can even drive a Tesla Cybertruck into it, okay? And I'm told the tree, if it's well watered, if it has good roots, it will not move, right? It's unmovable. And this is the first imagery uh, here in this passage. And actually, uh, this imagery will come up quite a bit in the Gospels. You see, the very first thing the Bible would want to say to you, that God would want to say to you today about this concept is this. To be blessed does not mean that you have the absence of trials, right? That you have the absence of negative things coming into your life. I mean, the very imagery of the tree planted next to, to streams of water that has foundation and strength is that that's there for a reason, right? It's there because yes, it is expected that things will come into your life. It is expected that you will be assaulted by all kinds of forces and problems and situations. But blessedness here in the scriptures is presented as a kind of security that exists even in the midst of those things, right? So, for example, um, in the parable of the sower in the, in the gospels, in the synoptic gospels, Jesus will talk about this. He'll say, you know, a seed goes into the ground and it starts to come up, and what he will then do is he will describe all the forces that are coming against this new plant, right? No matter, no matter what soil the, the um, seed has been planted on, it's going to be assaulted by all kinds of things, right? By the thorns, by the birds, by all kinds of weather conditions, and he says, however, the one that's on the good soil, it remains. It is not moved. Right? In the same way, the New Testament authors will often use language like this. Blessed are you, the Apostle James says, when you fall into trials of many kinds. Right? Blessed are you when trials come into your life. Why? Because those trials are revealing how easily you are moved. So, for example, Paul in uh, the sixth chapter of Ephesians, when he is describing kind of the spirit world and, and how that functions and what it means for a Christian, he says this, he says, you are to stand firm. You are to stand firm against these forces. So blessedness, the very first thing that we learn about it here in this passage is that to be blessed is not to have the absence of trials, it is not to have the absence of hard things, but instead it is to have a resource or resources by which you are able to stand firm even though your life begins to fall apart. It's the very first thing we see. Inversely, right, inversely to blessedness, uh, I wonder, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, so when I asked the question at the beginning of the sermon, I said, think of one thing, if it could change in you, for you, that you would pick that one thing over everything else this year, one thing that you could change, right? And I, and I suggested that that one thing for you is practically what it means to be blessed, well, what does it mean to have the opposite of blessing? What does that look like for you? In order to figure that out, actually, you go to the opposite, right? So on one hand, you long for something. That's what you think, I would argue, is blessedness. On the other hand, the things that keep you up at night, the things that 
are causing you stress and anxiety and insomnia, for example, some of you, that's the opposite of blessing for you. It's located in your fears, right? So some of us uh, live in all kinds of fear about all kinds of things, right? I used to live in constant fear of losing my job. I remember when I was first married and um, had never had to provide for anyone before, I can remember on almost a daily basis. I had no reason to think I was losing my job, but on almost a daily basis, I worried about this all the time, right? So I, had, I was, had all kinds of fear that were rising to the surface. And that is, we might say, the inverse of blessing, right? It's what we look at as the opposite of blessing are the fears that we have. But you see, this passage, what it is pointing to is that uh, blessing comes from having resources that are able to overcome your fears, right? So that no longer when you lay down your head at night and you say, you know, I am terrified of X happening, right? To be blessed is not to guarantee that that won't happen, but instead it is an assurance that even if the mountains rise up from the sea, that God will be with me to fulfill his promises, Right? To be blessed is to have an assurance that all, all hell, literally, using Ephesians 6 language, all hell could break loose in my life. But God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And everything that happens, even in those contexts, will ultimately serve His good purposes for me. So to be blessed is to actually believe that in the core of who you are. And to see it happen, right? So that's the very first thing we look at here. We see that this language of blessedness concerns a kind of security, not one that means you are immune from trials or immune from difficulties or immune from hardships, but one that means that even when they come, that you remain unmoved. The second word that is used here, uh, when I look again at verse three, it says, He's like a tree planted next to streams of water. Right, the second language that's used here is this language of fruitfulness or fruit. He says, the tree that is planted by streams of water yields fruit in its season. Now, to help really appreciate this, right, uh, you have to appreciate the fact that for those living in this time as hunter-gatherers, right, agrarian culture, that the fruitfulness of your crops was everything, right? There was no Wegmans, right? There was no Uber Eats back then, okay? So you were absolutely dependent on whether the crops you planted or, or those that you did trade for in the marketplace, whether they actually did what they were supposed to do. And you water, you feed them, you till the soil, you hope and you pray. And then at the harvest comes forth fruit that is good to eat, that is able to sustain your body. So in that culture, the idea of something being fruitful was everything. And Jesus Christ, more than anyone else in the whole scriptures, absolutely loves this language. Absolutely loves it. All throughout the Gospels, he will constantly be referring back to this language. So for example, in John 15, 8, he will say, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You know, in this part of John, Jesus is having what I call the talk, right? You know, we, we, we use this in various kind of contexts. You know, if you're raising teenagers, you have the talk, 
It's not what's happening here, be assured. Uh, what Jesus is doing, it's, it's the, actually the other, and I think the more sacred version of the talk, and that is when you know, right, if, you, if you've walked through death with someone, right, where they've been kind of on that path for a while, and they can sense that it's time, and they pull aside the ones closest to them, and they say, I need to tell you something, right, and they lay out for you uh, their last wishes, that's the talk, right? Some of you have, have, have been recipients of that. Jesus is doing that in John chapter 15. He knows, he, he will say, my time is, is about to, to come to a conclusion, and he lays out for them things for him that are most important for them to know and to understand, and uh, all throughout that section, he will come back to this language of it's essential that you bear fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Now, if blessed is mysterious, if that's kind of a mysterious term to us, fruitfulness is probably even more mysterious uh, in many ways. What, is, what does Jesus mean? What does this passage mean when it talks about bearing fruit in its season? Well, uh, as I've considered this question, and I've considered uh, how the New Testament and the Old Testament use this language, the best way that I can summarize it for you is this. In the scriptures, for a man or a woman or a child to bear fruit is effectively to change in some way, right? So when you hear this language of bearing fruit, think change. Think uh, another word the Bible will use is transformation, which is actually the Greek word by which we describe a butterfly's metamorphosis, right, from being a caterpillar to a butterfly. And the scripture uh, has, um, has this picture, right, that just as the tree, when it comes into contact regularly with water, sunlight, nutrients, that by necessity it will produce something that is life-giving to the world, that just as that is, that's the way it works. He says this, New Testament will say this, that when the Christian regularly has an encounter with her God, has a genuine encounter with her God or his God, that in the same way that there are things about you that will change in such a way that they give life to the world, that they give life to those around you, it's called fruit. Let me put a little more uh, flesh on it for you here in book of Galatians. So Paul, for example, as he's um, likewise teaching on this, he says this, the fruit of the Spirit, right? So when the Spirit is at work in you, when you are around the presence of God uh, in the Spirit, he says this, the change that will emit from you is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there, are, there is no law. And you see, friends, when, it, when the passage uses this language of bearing fruit in its season, when it uses this language even of prosperity, which it will use in the next sentence, what the Bible has in view is a kind of change that will take place in you that is an absolute necessity that is an absolute necessity when you come in contact with the living God, right? Just as a tree cannot help but to change and grow, to put roots, to produce all kinds of fruit, to bear fruit in its season when it's exposed to water and sunlight and nutrients in the same way that you cannot help but to 
experience change when you have regular contact with the living God. And so friends, what I want to kind of put some more uh, feet on this for you is this. When you think about the question I asked you at the beginning, what is one thing that you want this year, right? And it's okay to want, I'm sure that everything you picked is, is a good thing, right? I'm sure, I'm sure it is, because I know you. I'm sure that anything you picked is, is, a, is a wonderful thing in many ways, right? But now I want you to consider, what might it be to God for me, right? Maybe God's answer to this question of what does it mean for Darren to be blessed? What does it mean for you to be blessed? What if his answer is actually different than yours, right? What might that mean? Well, you see, for God and in the scriptures, the scriptures understand blessing to be a product from having an encounter with him by which you change. And what that might mean then is that uh, when we ask this question, what is, what is the blessing that God intends for us this year? Uh, in, in all likelihood, what it likely means is more change in me in the ways that he would desire. So for example, what if God's answer uh, to this question for you is this, what it, what's one thing that God wants this year for you? Maybe it's you becoming more patient with the things that you're sick of. Right? Maybe it means you having more courage to speak up when it's difficult. Maybe it means you having more joy even though you are faced with trials and pain and conflict and strife and need of all kinds. Maybe in the midst of that, there might be real actual joy that would emit up. Maybe it means for you more, more peace and less anxiety. Right? What might it mean? In what ways might God be working in your life and circumstances in such a way that you produce fruit, that you change this year? That is the question that I'm asking. That is, the, uh, I believe, the issue raised by this passage. Uh, and I will tell you that God is at work in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. And every time we open the scriptures, he is at work to change us. Uh, so I sit and I, I think about the kinds of change that he might want in me, right? I, I, I have to be honest and say that I'm often confronted with the fact that the things that I long for, the way that I answer that question at the beginning of the passage, I often find that the ways I believe that God wants change in me often go in direct opposition to the way that I would answer that question. That oftentimes it's through the delay of giving me those things that I want that the most lasting change is accomplished. But the scripture says that the way to have things be right, the way to have the actual real blessing is to have an encounter with God by which change is the, is the necessary consequence. So how might you pursue that? All right, so what is blessedness? We talked about that. How do you pursue it? Well, uh, in verse 1 and verse 2, it, it lays it out quite clearly. Plainly, it says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And then the key statement, I believe, is this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It, it's really interesting to me that in this passage, 
I think the defining statement about how you might pursue blessedness might surprise you, right? You know, we're, we're used to going to boot camps, right, where we, you know, try to have quick change in some area. We try to get, you know, strong, get in shape, uh, get really educated about a particular topic. We used to, you know, immerse ourselves. But in this passage, it's not the case. He says the way to blessedness actually happens in your daydreaming. You see that? The way to blessedness actually happens, not, and not in a boot camp, right? Not in that place, but it actually happens when it begins to affect the way that you daydream, right? What do I mean by that? Well, he says this. He says, the one, the one who is receiving blessing from God, verse 2, delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And this is how I think it works, guys, that uh, as we've been saying, the kind of change that we're describing can only happen from a genuine encounter with the living God. And when you begin to encounter God, even in your daydreaming, right, that's not planned, right, you're taking a shower, you're waiting in traffic, you know, you're at the gym doing your boot camp, and your thoughts begin to go to His Word, and you begin to to actually interact with him. God, I want to know you more. I want to understand the things that you've said. I want to grab hold of the things that you tell me are life-giving. When you begin to do that, the scripture calls it meditating, right? It's another, I, I think it's another word for daydreaming in, in many ways. And when that begins to happen, what's actually happening, right? What's actually happening is that you go from having maybe a once-a-week encounter with God and something like a worship service, to having a regular, constant encounter with him. And when that happens, your fruitfulness, I believe, will absolutely explode. It will absolutely explode. Uh, and that's what's um, going on here, right? You see, the Bible uh, presents itself something that is life-giving, but oftentimes what I find in my own practice, and perhaps in yours as well, is that I read something like this, and I, I immediately say, I want to get disciplined, I want to get better at reading my Bible, I want to get better at making sure I do that by a certain time every morning, and sometimes I'm really successful with that, and I will get up, and I will read, and then I'll go about my day, and I will completely, it will completely be devoid of my mind, right? And I'll tell you that if that's happening, that's not, you know, that is in no way what this passage is describing, right? Passage is describing a kind of relationship with God that you know is happening because it begins to invade your daydreaming, right? It's called meditation. It's called delighting in it. And I'll tell you that, you know, I do think the Bible places a, a high value on discipline, right? On getting up and, and reading your Bible and going to the gym when you don't want to, um, you know, those things are good, and, and I do recommend it, but I will tell you that if, for you, the reading of Scripture never gets beyond a discipline, if it never becomes a delight, that you will not be growing in the ways that God wants, right? So, uh, what are you to do about that? How are we to respond if we find ourselves in that place? Well, here's what I would say, right? If you're here today and you're saying, Darren, I don't ever think about the Bible. I don't even read the Bible. And when I do, I really don't enjoy it. I find it to be um, irrelevant to the things that I'm really concerned about. I find it to be 
um, hard to understand and, and unentertaining, and I'd rather go on Netflix or, or do something else, right? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to simply try harder? And this is what I would say, friends. A couple, couple recommendations I would have for you. Number one, approach the scripture as God directly speaking to you, right? Recognize the fact that God has decided to communicate and he wants to directly speak to you. Secondly, take the things that matter most to you. So take that thing that you had in your mind at the beginning of the passage and begin in your prayers and in your readings to ask God what he actually thinks about it. Right, God, what do you think about this thing that I desire? Right, what do you have to say about it? And then continue to read and allow that reading to begin, I believe, by the power of the Holy Spirit to interact with those items on a regular basis. That's the first thing. The second thing is, right, invest in community. Right, if you're here and, you, you know, you're not in a home group, you're not... Um, you don't have uh, other folks in your life that you're able to be real with, that you're able to talk with about the things that actually matter to you and to hear a perspective from the scriptures from them. If you don't have it in your life, make it a point to change your schedule this year to find it. You know, I, I have this mantra that I give uh, where folks become members of the church, and I say this, if you are not going to actually plug into a real community. If you're not going to really get into a home group, I can pretty much assure you that you will leave this community after probably about 18 months, right? Because relationships are at the core of who the church is. And to try to have the church without relationships uh, is to really have only an illusion of what God wants. You know, we actually see it here in this passage, for example, in verse 5, it makes reference to not simply a righteous person, right, but the congregation of the righteous. And so uh, one, one thing that's been a huge help to me and one thing I can't recommend highly enough to you all is that if you are not deeply connected to others, would you consider taking steps in your schedule to invest in that this year, right? One of the things I tell folks is that, you know, home group is awkward for the, about the first six months and then it becomes life-giving if you commit to it. Would you consider doing that? Uh, the next thing is, that's referenced at the beginning of the passage is this. See, part of why it's difficult to have your daydreaming uh, be connected to God, to connect with him at this level, part of the reason it's difficult uh, is because we actually find that our daydreaming <laughs> is always consumed by other things. So, for example, in verse 1, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, right? And the idea is this, is that folks are walking through life, and they're constantly hearing all kinds of teaching, all kinds of outside influences to the point that they have no time to consider uh, what God might have to say or think about it. And, you know, this was written, of course, to ancient people, uh, but in our particular day and time, we find that we are absolutely immersed in information unlike any other time in all of history. Uh, there was a study I read uh, some findings from recently by the University of San Francisco by two men, Richard Harvey and Eric Pepper, uh, and they were talking about this connection that's been discovered between 
teenage loneliness and smartphone addiction, right? So many of you have probably read this. It's been in the news quite a bit recently. Uh, between anxiety, loneliness, isolation, depression, and smartphone addiction. And they have all kinds of interesting findings from it. Uh, one, one quote that kind of took me back was, it says this, the behavioral addiction of a smartphone use begins forming neurological connections in the brain in ways similar to how opioid addiction is experienced by people taking OxyContin for pain relief gradually. And part of what I think is happening is, you know, I, I'm a tech guy. I, I uh, love technology. I use it all the time. But part of what I think is happening is that when we allow our minds to never have time to consider, to never have space and silence to consider the things of God, right? When we have a constant uh, stream of information going in all the time, what secular researchers are telling us is that it results in loneliness, isolation, depression, right? And, and addiction of all kinds. And I found that it's really true. You know, when I take steps to make sure that there is a sacred space for the things of God, not simply for 30 minutes in the morning, but repeatedly throughout the day, what I find is that I am able to experience them in ways uh, that I'm not able to when I am constantly being overloaded with information. And I'll tell you that at Ironworks, you know, we really value you being connected to the culture, right? Some, some church traditions uh, do not value that. We value that immensely. We want you to be involved in the lives of others. We want you to know what's going on in our world. We want you to think critically about the questions that our culture is asking. So we want you to be plugged in. We want you to have time and space in your day, in your lives, in your rhythms, to be able to hear from God uninterrupted. So I wonder if you might consider taking steps to address that this year, taking steps to say, you know what, I'm going to purposely disconnect from all the voices that I'm hearing just for a period of time in order to focus in, to dial in on what God is saying. That's what I think this passage is getting at, right? He's saying don't allow, for example, the language of it is the counsel of the wicked to be 99% of what you hear because you will begin walking in it. And, and one of the ways you know you are, probably, uh, is what this study found. Loneliness, isolation, depression. Right? But the word of God is life-giving. The things of God are life-giving. Now, what does it mean, right? Why is it the case that having the scriptures affect your, your daydreaming, as I've been using this language, uh, is a key to the scripture's vision of blessedness? Why is that the case? Well, uh, the Bible will, the passage will answer this uh, in verse 6 where he says this. He says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Now, this language here of knowledge is not awareness, right? This is not God saying, oh, I'm aware of the way of the righteous. You know, I've heard of that before, right? Instead, this word know, as it's used in the Old Testament, conveys the closest of all relationships, right? So in the book of Genesis, uh, after it, it talks about uh, conceiving of the first children, it says Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore him a son, right? It's, it's referring, it, you know, I heard once um, in uh, similar language to Hebrew and Ugaritic, there was actually a different word for sexual intimacy 
that only happens with people, right? Where people, it says they look into each other's eyes different than how the animal world does it, right? And so there was a different word in uh, the language of Ugaritic for this that conveyed a kind of intimacy that goes beyond the physical, that connects at a deeper level. Uh, and I believe the Bible is echoing this, where he says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He is intimately acquainted, as Psalm 139 will say, he is, you are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. And friends, uh, ultimately the source of blessing, uh, as portrayed by this passage, is the closeness of God. Right, the source of blessing is the closeness of God. The reason why I want your daydreams to even be affected is because when they are affected in this way, it means that God, you are drawing close to God. He is drawing close to you. And it is the closeness of God, I believe, that is the thing that we long for. No matter what you said at the beginning of, the past, of this sermon, no matter what that thing was in your mind, what you are ultimately longing for, I believe, uniformly here in this room as you were longing for the closeness of God. You were longing for the day when he will be so close that he will wipe the tears from your eyes, that he will remove cancer from this world, that there will be no more sickness, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more strife, no more death. You are longing for the time where you will see him face to face, where there will be no more barriers where there will be fullness of joy in his presence forever. And the passage says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the one who says, I'm going to delight myself in the things of God and meditate on them day and night. And it's interesting because the word it will use for the opposite of this, right, the way of the wicked, it says will perish. And the idea behind that is this, that the opposite of blessing, right, the fears that you have, the opposite of blessing is that life is going to come to an end and be absolutely no more. The opposite of blessing is actually perishing. It's actually death. It is where there is uh, no person, no force, nothing having any influence over the events of your life, but being subject to absolute pure chaos Right? And uh, there are many voices that would uh, be attempting to convince you that this is, is, in fact, the case. But the Scripture holds out this vision for 2020 for you and for me and says this. Take steps to delight yourself in me. Take steps to draw near to me. and I will draw near to you. And you will have the blessing. You will be unmoved. You will have change that you cannot even imagine. No matter what trial comes into your life, I will be there as the roots are to the tree to make you unmovable. I will prosper you spiritually. I will make all kinds of fruitfulness come forth from your life. And you will be with me forever in the congregation of the righteous. And as we conclude and turn to this table, we of course have to be reminded about the Lord Jesus who came, and there was never sin in his mouth. There was never uh, an unloving bone in his body. And yet he was cast out from the presence of the Lord as the Lord turns his face away. And of course, we understand that he did that so that you and I could draw close to him forever. That even though I have sinned 10,000 times this week, and it's only Sunday, 
that I have the ability to be in his presence, to be accepted as a son before him because of what he has done. And so as we turn our attention to this table, my hope is that as you look at what he's done, that you would long to know him more and you would see him taking steps to bring you in close. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we worship you. Holy Spirit, we adore you. And I pray, O oh God, that you would show us the absolute abundance that there is for us in Christ. I pray that for us this year, uh, for, for all of us here in this room, that this would be a year of real, tangible, spiritual blessing. I pray that you would invade our lives even to the point of our daydreaming this year. Pray that the scriptures would become sweet. I pray that all of the trials that will come into the lives of all of us here in this room, that we would find ourselves to have resources of profound strength as we are growing close to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?